This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, beer buddies, and welcome to another session on the Hot Forward podcast. Um, I've had quite a week this week. I don't know if you know, but for most of January, I've been doing dry January. I felt like uh, I want to take a leaf out of Pete Brown's book, who I believe has a month off once a year to do dry January. Uh, and I think actually that's that's quite a good rhythm because, uh, you know, we're working in the realms of beer and with breweries, um, you know, I'm exposed to a lot of beer and I, I really, really like the stuff. <laughs> so I felt like actually this year I'm going to challenge myself to do it. But I had a pre-book day in um, where Matthew Curtis, who runs Pedicle, was coming up to Sheffield. Um, I, I treated that as a bit of a halftime break. Um, so, but, you know, it, it was it was good seeing uh, Matt from Pedicle and, and just a big shout out for his podcast, um, his and Johnny's podcast. Uh, if you've not heard it yet, go check it out because it's super great, really great content there as well and got some good food for thought but yeah I hung out with him and Jim and Laura from Aberdale and uh, Dan and Martha from uh, Brewery St Miles of the Desert and Adam from the Sheffield Hopcast as well um, if you've not heard their podcast go check that out too um, but the next day so that was a, a good time but the next day a little bit fuzzy headed I had the privilege of driving up to Keithley in North Yorkshire to Timothy Taylor's where I recorded a forthcoming episode of the podcast with uh, Tim Dewey who's their chief executive and Andy LeMann who is their head brewer so you know I, I pull up into the brewery car park uh going to reception and there's this screen that says Timothy Taylor's welcomes Nick Law I mean come on yeah Roy I mean I felt so welcome just just from such a little thing like I'm like that's such a nice little touch and then Tim came down to meet me personally and spent most of his day, you know, showing me around, finding out about what I do, um, t- giving me the history of Timothy Taylor's, giving me the, the grand tour of the brewery, uh, introducing me to loads of different members of the team. And then he'd be showing me all the little little things. And I'll, I'll go into this more when I put that podcast out. And he was showing me all these little things about the brewery that embody quality. Because that's what Timothy Taylor's is about. It's about quality. Even with like checking every cask with this, like what you call the lightsaber, you know, every single cask gets checked to make sure that it's clean. And if it's not, it comes back off the line. And there, there are parts of the system that are quite... I don't say automated, but, um, you know, m- most brewers listening to this would, would dream of having some of that stuff in their brewery to help along with the production. But they're, they're producing a lot of beer, so they, they, they need extra machinery to help. But it's all done in the name of quality. And, um, you know, I, I came away with my, my goodie bag of, um, you know, a bottle of Landlord, a bottle of Bolt Maker, a glass and some other merch and stuff. And, and just this sense of, you know what? When my dry January ends, I'm going to have, as my first beer, a pint and Landlord. And I can guarantee if I go into a pub and I see a pint and Landlord on, rather than it being the beer that I might have later on, I will probably have that up front or near the start because 
what that experience has done and and their hospitality and their attention to detail and quality has has I guess in a lot of ways made like a, a an ambassador for their brand. You know, I'm talking about it now of their podcast, and you're probably thinking, "Oh, I could do with a pint and landlord." Um, and they're not paying me to say this, by the way. I'm just saying this off my own back to illustrate a point and leading to today's episode. Creating those kind of experiences for your business is absolutely paramount for your brand. A lot of people think that branding. He's merely about what's on the skin, what's on the surface. So how does the can look? What's my logo like? What's the website like? And I'll be doing a little bit of a talk about this at the Seabird North and East meeting next week. So if you're around for that, uh, you know, and you're thinking of coming along to that meeting, uh, please do. It'd be good to see you there because uh, I'm going I'm to talk about doing a, a bit of a brand audit because actually those experiences tie into your brand and your business as much as like I say what's on the surface branding is just like it's like an iceberg like the tip of the iceberg is what people see visually but all the stuff underneath like the lightsaber stick I talked about or the the screen that had my name on it all those little things build up your brand because you, you, your your brand is how you do things and how people perceive you and so it's really important that you think about the experience you're giving, whether you're selling business to business and you're dropping off casks um, at pubs or, or in bottle shops. Or, well, you're dropping bottles in bottle shops, won't you? Uh, but, what you know, if you, you're doing a delivery, you know, how's the person dressed who's delivering the beer? How's the van? Is it clean? You know, how do people pick up the phone and answer the phone? Do they answer the phone? You know, how do you respond to emails? Are there spelling mistakes? It's all these tiny little things that you sometimes don't think anything of that are actually giving that public perception to to you, your, your brand and your business and ultimately your beers. Because sometimes you, you might be a great brewer, you might be making great beers or you might be manufacturing the best kegs in the world or whatever it is. But if there are gaping holes in other elements of your business, then there's going to be some serious issues and then and a customer might never get to try your beers they may never use your kegs or whatever and the, the reason i talk about this is because i did an interview fairly recent with uh, andrew copland so andrew runs the craft beer professionals facebook group which is kind of like the american version of the uk brewing and beer professionals facebook group that a lot of you listeners are a part of and that I'm a part of but he also founded something called the secret hopper so basically the secret hopper as you can probably imagine from the pun is like a mystery shopper for breweries now doesn't that just sound like the best job in the world ever right going out to a brewery tap room trying their beer and kind of assessing them out of 10 how's the bar staff presented have, have you got your pint in good condition and, and so on and so forth because actually what Andrew does through the secret hopper is he feeds back to the breweries that have hired secret hopper to basically mystery shop their own business and, and audits them saying oh, actually this 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 was really good and this this and this was not so good so that they they can create these great experiences because as we discuss in today's episode it's so much about experience now and customer experience people want to have great experiences and if you can create that experience which i believe a lot of it ties into your branding and i always reference the brewery st miles of the desert in sheffield if, if you've never been there make, make a point of going uh, when they're open because it's, it's just this great little experience because you've got to remember that people might not necessarily remember 
how the beer tasted or um, what you said to them even or how something looked. But they remember how it made them feel. And if you can make someone feel great, then you, you just, you're on to a winner. Again, that's why I uh, reference Brewery St. Miles of the Desert because I, I come away from that place feeling really good. Just that the whole experience is just, it's just a wonderful experience. And you've got to build that into your brewery business today or your beer business, whether you're a supplier, whatever facet of the beer world you're in, uh, whether you're in a bar, whatever it is. So um, before we get into today's episode, uh, make sure you follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. I'd love to connect with you, I'd love to chat with you over social media. Subscribe to the podcast by subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review. So if you've not left a review yet, I say this every week, get your phone out and leave a little review or even just tap the five star button um, if you think it's five star worthy, which I hope you do, Um, because actually that will help more people discover the show and it'll help people benefit themselves and grow their own businesses and grow themselves. And that's the aim to just help as many people as possible through the show. And finally, check out hotforward.beer and let's see how we can make your beer look as good as it tastes. We can help you with uh, branding and marketing services and consultancy to help you get ahead in the beer industry. And if you go to hotforward.beer on the front page, there's a mailing list. I would love you to become part of that mailing list because I'm going to be putting out and teasing out some new exclusive content content through that mailing list so please uh, check out the mailing list please sign up to it and i would love to communicate with you through your email and bring more value to you and your beer business through there so right let's get into today's episode with andrew copland who is the secret hopper Today on the Hot Four Podcast, I am joined by Andrew Copeland, the secret hopper. Hello. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me on. I'm yeah. really excited to be here. No worries. So how's how's your new year been so far? It's been fantastic so far. My, my wife and I actually had a baby in July, so we're working hard, sleeping very little, drinking lots of coffee and as much beer as we can. <laughs> Just to get through. <laughs> yeah, right. You need a combination of all those to stay happy and healthy. Yeah, totally. I've, I've, I've been there. I've been there. My kids are a bit older now, so... Um, and whereabouts in the states are you? I've got to ask. I'm in Virginia. Right. Okay. So if you're like me, that's never left. Well, I can't, I can't say I've never left the UK. I've, I've been to a few places in Europe, but I've never been to that side of the Atlantic. Where, whereabouts is Virginia? It's on the East Coast, and I, I think it's one of the little places you guys used to have control of back in the day. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we, had, we used to have control of a lot of places back in the day, but that's, that's kind of go, gone up the swan quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah mate we haven't even got control of our own country at the moment it's all chaos so there you go yeah we're about in the middle of the east coast of the united states right okay awesome so what's what's the beer scene like around there you know what in the city i live in we live in norfolk virginia which i believe you guys have one of those as well we do yeah um about 10 years ago the craft beer scene really started taking off in my area we only had one brewery that launched about a decade ago and now I think I have about 30, 35 breweries within 20 minutes of my house. So wow, that's amazing. It's, it's growing quite a bit, you know, all kinds of styles, all kinds of models of brewery. It's pretty fun. So they're not all hazy IPAs. And... Uh, yeah, they're not all hazy IPAs. <laughs> I think most of them are throwing the hazies out there left and right. But yeah. these are... it's, not, it's not too dissimilar over here. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of hazy IPA. So um, uh, today on the show, I thought we could to look at um, the consumer experience. But before we delve into that, can you give us a bit, bit of background about what you do? 
So I do a couple things. I run a company called Secret Hopper, and Secret Hopper is a mystery shopping company for breweries. We help them, you know, make sure their experience is just as good as their beer, and that's kind of how I got into the beer industry. Because with here in the United States, over 8,000 breweries, if you're not making good beer, you're not going to survive. And when everybody's making good beer, you also have to have a really excellent experience to go alongside it. Mm. So that's what I do. But a couple years ago, I also launched a group on Facebook called Craft Beer Professionals because I was almost shocked that here in the United States, I didn't have a way to communicate with people who might be on the, the other coast or just people working in the industry could have a conversation on the internet instantaneously. So I launched this group so people could better connect. And, you know, when there's more education and more conversation, the industry gets better because we learn from each other. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you should say that because I was writing a, a, an article for Brew Publication for the day where um, looking into the next decade, and one, one of the points I raised in that article is that um you know brewers that are going to succeed in the 20s are, are going to need to educate themselves more than ever on on all aspects of their beer business whether it's production or um yeah the, the customer experience or whatever it is so um yeah and i i, I know for for one being a part of that group there's uh, pl plenty of other uk brewers who have joined that group so good work man Thank you. It's fun. You know, I learned so much just from reading what everybody else posts. It's like so much knowledge and not enough time to take it all in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why do you think as a drinking culture over the past 20 years, we, we've moved very much from beers you drink to beers you experience? You know what? You kind of took an exact quote from my mouth because I was getting ready to tell you like the, the past 10 years have been defined by just really great beer. I mean, so many breweries are making fantastic beer. I think the next 10 years is going to be defined by breweries just ha running great businesses. And part of running a great business is having that customer experience because mm -hmm. the way people are here in America, I'm sure over there as well. People just crave experiences. They don't just want to go and have a meal. They just want to have something surrounding it that's also a really fun time. I mean, here in America, just think about going to like Disneyland or going to Las Vegas. You're not just going to spend money. You're going to take in a whole new experience. And that's happening worldwide. People just want that experience. What, why do you think that is? Because I've, I've dwelled upon this um, over the past, I don't know, f five or six years um, that – we used to very much be about products and stuff, you know, just amassing stuff, whether that's having a bigger house, a faster car, you know, a, a more jazzy telly, whatever it was, you know, going, I'll say going on holiday, that is an experience, isn't it? But, you know, having the TV and all the rest of it, whereas we have moved into this more experiential existence. People aren't so much fussed about having stuff as much. It is very much about the experience. I mean, as, as a wider cultural thing why do you think that is because obviously so that plays a lot into beer doesn't it oh 100 percent. so in i believe it was 1997 there was these you know educators who wrote this piece they're called pine and gilmore they wrote a piece called welcome to the experience economy if you've never read it it's a quick read it talks about how the economy was shifting from making just a product and service to also packaging it with that experience and mm. they put that out 20 years ago right when companies were starting to provide experiences along with their products but I think now, as you kind of mentioned, we're not just, hey, you can provide an experience. It's kind of becoming a requirement where any company looking to put out something that's going to touch a consumer, you also have to put out that experience. And I think people get really bored sometimes. I mean, we see that in all the styles of beer people are putting out. They want to try something new each time. But people also get bored with doing things and putting an experience out there as well. 
is a way to keep their attention a little bit longer because I don't know about you, but I like to just take in as much as I possibly can. And just when I go somewhere and I can have more than just a pint, but I can also have a bartender talking to me about it or being in a really cool tasting room, that's just going to add to my experience and make me want to come back a little sooner. Yeah, totally. It's I don't know if you're... I don't think they have it in the States, but there's a company in the UK called Lush. It makes like um, soaps and shampoo bars. And yeah, I got my wife some of that for Christmas. Oh, right. So. Okay. So, um, but you know, they're one of the few high street re- retailers that are doing really well because they, they provide this experience. And my wife said to me uh, several months ago, Let, let's start getting our shampoo from Lush. So, because we, we're trying to reduce our plastic consumption. And I was like, I, had, I, I used to live with this guy called Russ, who um, year, we're talking like in 2004, where, you know, he, he'd shop in Lush. I was like, oh man, you, you're so, you know, it's probably not as PC to say this anymore, but, um, you know, he's so girly, Russ, you know, he was, he's, he was into all that beautification. He loved it. Um, you know, and so when, when my wife's like, oh, what's this? let's go into Lush. I'm like, really? Lush? Come on. But I went in, I loved it. You know, it's like it is, and it is this proper full and experience. And I can see, you know, that the, um, the shop assistants getting in there and they're asking you questions. Try this one, try this one. It was, it was again, like going to a, a brewery tap room and having that conversation with the bartender <laughs> only well, over soap you know and what? stuff. <laughs> That's a really neat example in comparison to make, because when I went there to shop for my wife for Christmas, I got like a shower balm or a shower ball that when she puts it in their shower, you know, it just puts out this aroma that's going to be fantastic and helps her take a better shower. So we're even trying to add experiences to our shower. You're just not washing your body. You're taking in all these fancy aromas that are going to make you feel better about yourself. Yeah. So moving it back to beer then, why is that experience so vital to the growth and development of a brewery? I mean, I think it's necessary because if you're not putting it out, you're not going to survive. People are craving those experiences and they're expecting good beer Mm. because if you're not making good beer, then you're not going to last long. But when there's two breweries the same distance from my house and they're both making good beer, you're going to go to the place that has that better experience. That's where I'm going to spend my money at least. Yeah. We, that's the decision we have to make these days. I mean, it's a tough decision, really. Mm. I I think personally that's why – branding and I, I a lot of people misunderstand branding they think that when you say branding they think of logo or what's on a can but you know like the design of a product but, but branding encompasses every, the, the entire feel of something so mm-hmm. everything from like you know how, how does it make you feel it's all the stuff that, it's that kind of creative side of your brain where you, you know you, you're not thinking through things logically it's like um oh you like light lush oh how does this how does this shower bomb make me feel or how does um, looking at that can and and drinking that beer make me feel how does the experience going to tap room make me feel and um there's a there's a brewery in sheffield local to me called the brewery st mars of the desert um if, are you familiar with pretty things beer and ale projects i've heard of them yes. yeah so it's it's the guys that ran that when um they they moved to sheffield and um st- start this little brewery but it's you you walk in and the experience is just it's it's magical you know there's just something about it that's just like really different and i, I, I don't know like i said i've never been to the states so maybe, maybe that's an american thing um because that dan is american um, and, and he's brought some of that kind of American tap room over, whereas over here it's more brew pub and pub centric um, for the large part. Um, well, to pick up on what you're saying, though, I think a lot of American breweries are almost becoming more pub centric because 
with so many around here, 8,000 and counting, not everyone's going to be the next big distributor on the, for the region. So they're trying to bring the drinkers to their tap rooms and go with that tap room model and adding food to the mix and having that brew pub experience is a part of what we're seeing a lot of right now. Yep. So on that, talk us through the secret hopper process because you, you do mystery shopping for breweries, right? Yes, sir. Um, so t- talk us through that process and, and what the brewers hope to get out of it at the end and, and why is there a need for such a service? So I think we've said experience a billion times already in that podcast, and that's what really Secret Hopper <laughs> means to do because if you're not putting out a great experience, you're not going to survive. One of my favorite taglines I share is world-class beer to serve a world-class customer experience. Mm. So what we do, we send beer lovers like you or I to visit breweries where they're going to enjoy a couple – you know, pints, then they're going to complete a questionnaire about that experience. And it really draws attention to the things we're already talking about. What's the first thing you noticed? How was the service? Did the staff introduce themselves? Did they encourage you to take beer to go? You know, things that are going to make you build a relationship that really come down to the engagement that the staff has with the brewery, the staff has with the customer. Because when you feel connected to a bartender, you're going to spend more money. You're going to tip higher. You're going to tell your friends and you're going to come back sooner. And all those little things, they add up to a big picture. And it's our goal to really focus with breweries to make sure you're putting the efforts in to make sure your staff's interacting with the guests, teaching people about your brewery to get those guests coming back sooner. So we do that through Secret Hoppers and here in the United States, we literally have 25,000 people who have signed up for to do it. We're working with 450 breweries and we're just helping them figure out how to make their business a little bit better to become more successful long term. That's amazing. So for smaller brewers, because I, I imagine with bigger brewers like Russian River or whoever, like, you know, they've got entire teams, haven't they? You can, can cater to this with their tap rooms and all the rest of it. But for, for small independent brewers, where you know that they're, they're they're busy trying to dig out their mash tons, trying to sort out their tap room and their staff, trying to sort out any deliveries and distribution, and you know, and spinning a bazillion different plates. Like often, it's really hard having run a brewery myself with a tap room. It's it's really hard to engage with some of those um, higher level questions sometimes, if you know what I mean by that. Those the, you know the big picture kind of questions you've you've just laid out. Totally. Um, what can brewers in that situation do in their rhythms to, to be thinking about that kind of thing? Um, because as, as we've said so far, you know, this, that experience is, re- is now really, really vital. So as you know, brewery owners wear so many different hats. And a lot of times you're worried about cleaning the floors, brewing the beer and running the tap room, then doing accounting at nights and weekends when you have extra time. So it's our goal to help draw attention to little points that they might not think about. Just something as little as, you know, when you go behind a bar and you might introduce yourself to a guest, you're going to get a higher tip. And you might not think as a brewery owner that, hey, maybe I should be giving them my name, but it's a way you can build a connection with the guest. So what we aim to do is really do the work for them and let them know that, you know, when they're not in the tasting room, their staff is doing a good job. And we give them essentially a report they can read in just a couple couple of minutes and be like, oh, my gosh, Andrew's doing a terrible job behind the bar. Or Nick's, you know, talking to everyone. He's killing it back there. So it's kind of a peace of mind on one end of the spectrum, but also a way they could look at me and be like, man, Andrew just sucks behind the bar. We just got to either get him engaging with the guests more or do something better or maybe even get rid of him to put someone back there who cares more. <laughs> yeah, because, we're gonna fire your ass. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get him out of there. Because like like you know, when you run a business, you have to be passionate as hell about it. Yeah. 
So if you're having people who work for you who are just there treating it like a job, and first off, if you're working in beer and you're just treating it like a job, then you should probably get out of the industry right now because that's not what's helping us grow. But it's really about just being passionate, caring about the beer you're selling, the experience you're putting out to customers because that's what helps craft beer grow. And I know you said you weren't a whole fan of the craft term with regard to beverages, but you know that's what we go by these days. And you know it's building those relationships yeah totally anyway that's that's a, that's a whole other whole topic other conversation. of conversation we should we right. could debate that on the uh, facebook group until kingdom come um what are some of the most common mistakes and flaws then you find through the feedback firstly in the product itself and then secondly in the experience surrounding that product like like a tap room so we don't put a lot of focus on the beer quality there's so right, many okay. out there that are already kind of doing that and we don't want to touch that because beer is subjective so I'm not going to even get on that. But some of the things that we find, like like over where you're at, do a lot of breweries offer beer to go, you know, cans, bottles, growlers, whatever it may be. Just think about how many times you've been to a brewery and how many times can you recall that the bartender said, hey, Nick, you want to take some home with you? And Yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen. So we don't ever look like to look at these as flaws, the feedback we give to breweries. We like to look at it as ways to get better. Like I'm an extremely positive person. I get excited about working with so many breweries. So we don't want to say you suck, you need to do this better. We want to say, hey, you're doing a good job, but you could do an even better job if you add these little fixes. Okay. So for example, with regard to like the beer to go, we see that only about 20% of the time our staff asking that question. And when someone asks you that doesn't ask you that question, you're only going to make it to go purchase like nine percent of the time. Mm. But when they do ask you that question, our studies show that you're going to purchase that extra beer to take home with you forty nine percent of the time. Wow! And that's just—I mean—that alone can make a brewery so much more profit just by getting that beer out the door. And as someone in branding yourself, you know when you take a growler home that has a logo on it and you share it with friends, you're sharing an experience, you're getting the beer out the door. And the craft beer experience isn't just based in a brewery, it's based everywhere that brand can touch someone. Yep. And there's so many little places. I, I think we could probably go on a huge tangent on that one. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the classic upsell, isn't it, in, in sales terms, you know. Um, once you've got someone's buy-in on one product or service you know it's it's much easier to upsell which is why if you if you look at like a web shop you know let's let's say you go on to like a, a brewery's uh website and then you, you, you're gonna buy beer from them and then you get to the checkout and it's like um would you like to add this to your basket or you know beanie hat or some merchant stuff like you, you've got you've got your credit card in your hand you're more likely to be like heck yeah i want a beanie hat <laughs> also yeah as as well so um so in a, I know you say you're more experienced tap room sort of base, but just just looking at some of the products and stuff, just um, with your uh, your beer hat on, um, and looking at the industry in the states, like in in a in a culture that, and it's the same in the UK as it is, I'm sure over there, um, in in a culture that really drives change and innovation and demands what weirder and wackier beers, like how can brewers create any kind of consistency? in their product when they're having to be on the cutting edge of flavor development all the time. And then because that, that's going to tie into someone's experience. Like if they're like, you know, they're going to a brewery tap room expecting the beer to be awesome, but the brewer's not used to brewing this particular type or style of beer. Then all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't know if I'll go there again. And 
That's a really interesting point because we're at a standstill like in American beer right now where brewers kind of have the debate. Do I want to go out of my realm and brew a hazy IPA or even try brewing a seltzer just to keep people entertained? Or do I want to stick to my roots and do more classic styles? Mm. And a lot of breweries are taking that different ways. You see some who, you know, let's say Sierra Nevada, for example, you know, they are not known for like hazy IPAs. But guess what? They brewed one to appeal to the consumer and now it's really well selling and it's really well done. So a lot of breweries are having to adapt with what the consumer wants, which is an interesting argument. And I think these interesting trends of throwing everything in you possibly can in the beer are going to continue for a while until the consumer might get bored with that and get ready for the next trend. Yeah. I don't know what that's going to be, but things seem to go in cycles and I'm very interested to see. You literally just took the words out of my mouth because I was going to say it's so cyclical um, that, you know, for a long time in the UK, um, you know, over the last decade, it was like, oh, best bitters, it's all twiggy and, you know, fuggles and all the rest of it, boo. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, best bitters, miles, we've just brewed a, you know, a, a dark mild. <laughs> and, it's, and it, you know, and all of a sudden, it's it's the rage again to be brewing a, a brown ale and, and so on. And um, it, it can feel sometimes like people throw the baby out with the bathwater. And you, you see it mostly through uh, a platform like Untapped. Now, I think it's fairly safe to say that most brewers have a love-hate relationship with Untapped, <laughs> often, often due to like harsh and even unfair re- re- reviews, quote-unquote, often from hardcore beer tickers. But how, how should brewers take feedback, um, whether it's about a beer or their tap room or their business? And what sort of questions should they be asking themselves when they've had... So maybe some unsolicited feedback or or negative comments over social media because often there, there's a nugget of truth in there not all the time but a lot of the time there may be a nugget of, tr- nugget of truth in there so i think i'm going to unwrap this from a different angle i it. think i'm going to start with whatever you're making make sure it's a well quality beer because if you're making a well quality beer that you put time into creating a recipe for and you're proud of then that's where you need to start whether it's a hazy ipa or a mild or a lager or whatever you're putting out there put out a quality beer and with regard to sites like untapped you know I think it does have its value in some ways. Like if I want to see how my friends feel about a certain beer, it's a great point of reference and it gives you a guide. But here in the States, the differentiation between like a really high ranked beer and a low ranked beer is so small. It's like a window of 0.3. <laughs> and you know, is really like a 4.1 going to be that much better than a 3.8? The differentiation is so small. Mm. So I don't think you can take a lot of stock into it, and especially been proven that certain styles just historically get higher rankings. You know, all the hazy beers have higher rankings, sours typically have higher rankings, any beer with a weird ingredient is kind of going to get rated higher because when you rate things like that, you're rating based on the experience that surrounds it too. And that's also something that comes into play. When you go to a brewery and you're having a good time, you're going to be more likely to rate that beer higher as well as opposed to a brewery that you're cramped, it sucks, it's crowded, and you're not having a fun time. So there's a lot of factors that go in. Yeah. That's so That's such an interesting point. And I'd not really thought about that when it comes to um, something like Untapped because that's that's so right. You you can have a a beer that if you had it in small pack, you know in, in the comfort of your home might just be like yeah it's, it's all right you know but when when you're in the midst of you know the noise and the people and you know you're having those conversations a good time it's like all of a sudden it's like the best beer in the world ever um that's so interesting 
And I actually read an article recently that there was a beer brewed by, I think, an American brewery or maybe a brewery over that way. It's distributed in the Europe and the United States under two different names. And under each name, one has a very high rating, and then the other, I think in Europe, where it's distributed under a different name, the rating's a lot lower. And the author was trying to point out that you know Europeans are actually more honest in their untapped ratings, and here in America, we might feel the need to not rate any beer below a three, where you guys might be more willing to give a beer a one if it's not well made. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so I appreciate you guys' honesty because honestly, having a greater range gives a little more you know value to it. Yeah. So on on your travels or um, through Secret Hopper, what what are some of the best examples of customer service you've seen over the years? So I, I've told this story before that there's a brewery in St. Louis, Missouri that I absolutely love. Um, they're, they're called Perennial Brewing. They do really great things. They have fantastic beer. I mean, the beer has to be fantastic, and they're doing a killer job of it. But I went there on my travels one year and. It's really well priced. The tap room's really nice. They have fantastic food, but it really was the staff that stood out to me because they took the time to make sure I had the right beers. They asked me what I enjoyed. They really engaged with me, asked me where I was from, and really just created an experience where I didn't feel like I was just someone behind a bar drinking a beer. They made me feel like they actually cared about me. So that was cool by itself. So about a year later, I go back to the same brewery and I actually had the same bartender. And she recognized me and she said, hey, you're the guy from Virginia. And she knew who I was. Like a year later, I had been to this brewery like once ever. And that was just a little above and beyond for me because, yeah, I went because the beer was good. But they wowed me when they said, wow, you're that guy? I'm like, yeah. This is before Secret Hopper in those days. And I was just the guy having a drink, having some dinner. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it was really amazing. It makes you feel good about yourself. And it was fun. I think that there's something to be said for um, people that work behind bars, you know, and I can, it can often be seen as like, you know, like a low paid job. And, you know, if everyone's done a, particularly in the UK in pubs, everyone's had a job behind a bar at some point in a pub. Um, but I know when I was younger in particular, you know, there were some pubs I wouldn't go in because like, you know, the, the landlord, like how, how they survived because they, they just hated everybody, <laughs> hated all their patrons, you know, and, yeah. and, and um, you know, so and you, you still, unfortunately you still get some of those gr- grumpy kind of landlords but on on the flip side um when i ran sheffield brewery company um my my colleague and friend paddy um you know he he was amazing behind the bar you know he, he was like it was almost like a performance for him he was in his element um ju- you know just chatting to customers and stuff and people loved him you know because he was such a character and it, it makes such a difference when because it's a very people-led thing isn't it um beer and working in a tap room or a bar um and it, it makes such a difference doesn't it oh oh yeah without a doubt and you don't have to be the most over-the-top person you don't have to be the loudest guy the most flamboyant guy behind the bar or girl you just need to be talkative and if you can just build a connection teach people about your brewery, teach people about your beer, make them like you. Like I have this principle that I believe in, it's called the 30 second conversation. Because if you're serving me at a bar or I'm serving you, I should be able to one, introduce myself, say, hey, how's your day going? Have you tried this beer? Have you been here before? Serve them a beer and say, thank you, have a great day. And if you can get someone to feel connected to you in 30 seconds, you can do your job correctly and you can get people to wanna come have more drinks with you just by building that quick connection. Yeah, amazing. So ch- changing tax slightly, um, there's now within the region of, I, I thought it was 7,500, but you cited 8,000 breweries in the USA. 
Yeah, I think the Brewers Association is now claiming we've hit the 8,000 wow, mark. Okay, so 8,000 brewers in the USA. Like, I mean, what what do other than providing a very very good experience, like what do brewers need to do throughout this next decade to stand out from the crowd? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I think they need to run a really good business because you can brew great beer, but if you don't know how to do the basic business practices, whether just the marketing, the accounting, just the things that require the backbone of a business, then you're going to suffer because with so many in the competition so stiff, you can't just make okay beer anymore. You got to have awesome beer, an awesome experience, but also have the know-how to, to run that business. So I think a lot of breweries are you know, sh- shifting in this direction. You've seen a lot of people go into beer who have backgrounds in other fields. You know, and so they often have the skills to run a business now, but those who might not have had those skills are having to learn. And there's a lot of really great resources out there to do it. I mean, whether the Brewers Association here in America is putting out a lot of information that's helpful to breweries or merely just dialogue or companies like you might be yourself, you know, helping breweries with their marketing, helping them with their rebrand. It's okay to say, hey, I need help. Because if you can find the right person and pay them to help you out, then that's what they're there for. And they're here to help your business get even better. And I think that's what we're seeing here in America. Yeah, totally. So where do you see craft beer in America going over the next few years? Well, just, I mean, wineries, there's 10,000 plus wineries here in America. There's more than that coffee shops. There's so many restaurants. So I think we can still continue to climb. I think a lot of people question whether we've hit that bubble. And I don't think we have, because if you operate a business and you know your limitations, if you know you want to be the best brewery within three miles in a certain little area and just cater towards a certain market, then you can be that brewery. A lot of breweries that open these days aren't going to be the best brewery in Virginia or be the best brewery in UK. But if you know your niche in the market, we can have a billion little corner shop breweries that have that taproom atmosphere that's really just unique and caters to that local demographic. Just keeping it local, I think, is where we're going to see a lot of breweries really succeed in the next 10 years. Yeah, I um, I, I think there'll be more kind of hyper-localization of, of breweries. and they'll be, I, they'll be smaller, I think, you know, um, it's, it's very easy to set your sights on being massive and being the next, you know, in the UK, the next Cloudwater or Verdant or Northern Monk or whoever. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, for the past few years, I've, I've almost envisioned um, brewers with their tap rooms being like, like independent coffee shops. Literally, it's just like you, you've got one, one store, in, one independent coffee shop, you know, and it's, but rather than serving coffee, they serve the beer they make on site um, and, and that kind of thing. Um, if if you were opening a brewery in the USA today, then like what advice would you give to a budding brewer? Surround yourself by really smart people. I mean, th- that's the best advice I can give. And don't be afraid to ask for help. There's so much community in craft beer. There's so many great people you can learn from. And that's vital because if you don't know how to do something, don't just guess. Because if you guess and do something wrong, it could be a costly mistake. Make sure you just take the time to educate yourself. Just like the bartender needs to educate his guests, the brewery owner himself or herself needs to be educated in how to run that business so they don't make a costly mistake that ultimately hurts them. I mean, it's all about just learning. It's an adventure that's a lot of fun. Yeah, be passionate. Yeah, totally. I mean, f- finally, just for all, all the brewers and craft beer bar owners out there listening to this who are already in the thick of it, what one thing can they do to hop forward in their beer business today? Oh, wow. And one thing they can do 
just keep being passionate about what you're doing. Your passion as a brewery owner is contagious to your staff. If you have that passion and your staff feel it, they're gonna care about your business just like you care about the business. And if you can create a culture of people who are just huge advocates for your brewery, that's gonna spread to your community. And that's how you grow by getting everyone, your staff, your community, every local business surrounding you to feel like you're an institution. And when you can create that, you can create something that's more than just beer, but you've created a, like essentially a staple in the community that's a landmark that people really want to seek to. Yeah, cool, man. So th- thanks for being on the show today. Like, how, how can people connect with you and find out a bit more about Secret Hopper? So anyone listening, we would love to have you in the Craft Beer Professionals group first off. But if anyone wants to connect with me personally, you can either go to secrethopper.com or email me at andrew at secrethopper.com as well. Fantastic. Andrew, thank you very much. No, you're very welcome, Nick. It's been fun. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at Hot Forward Beers. Until next time, cheers. Hey,